Hi, I'm Bill Thielman, co-host of BC Polytalk. And I'm Daniel Fontaine. And on the show this week, we have Glenn Clark. Glenn Clark is a former NDP Premier of British Columbia and also is the uh, Chief Operating Officer and President of the Jim Pattison Group. And I know, Bill, you're going to have a lot of questions for Glenn Clark. I know you've known him for many years and uh, it's, it's going to be a real uh, treat to have uh, him on the show. It is, Daniel, and I was very pleased that Glenn agreed to come on the show. Uh, he also did a promo for our show before it even started. So, uh, And, you know, I worked with him uh, for uh, less than a year in the Premier's office as communication director, but I've known him for a long time before and after that, and I do some work with some of his companies. It's probably one of the most fascinating stories in BC politics that anybody's ever seen. Someone who goes from the highest office in the land, uh, elected office, uh, has some challenges and then becomes uh, the second in command of one of BC's largest and one of Canada's largest private companies. Just hasn't really seen that before. And so Glenn has a unique, uh, a unique perspective on a lot of different things that I want to talk about in terms of the COVID-19 situation, the economy, uh, where we go next as we start to open up uh, British Columbia and Canada. And I know he's got a lot of knowledge from both the public policy and, and politics side, but now also the business side. No, I know it came not only as a surprise to me when Glenn Clark started working with Jimmy Pattison, but probably a few million British Columbians who saw uh, Glenn Clark in a very different uh, light suddenly when working in free enterprise world, having been uh, kind of a former NDP premier and somebody who was more associated with blue collar workers as opposed to working in the executive suite. So that was really interesting. And he really has done an amazing job, you know, of transforming himself. And that's why I'm so... Uh, pleased to have him on the program today to get his perspective because what I love about getting former premiers on, um, in particular someone like Glenn is, uh, who can be quite frank I think, is they have a really great perspective because they've been in uh, the, the premier's office, they've led a government, they know what it's like to deal with challenges and you and I both know that COVID is like nothing we've ever seen before so it'll be interesting to get his perspective on and maybe his advice as to what uh, our current politicians uh, should and, and could be doing when it comes to responding to COVID-19. It's also true that he's really the first uh, major business leader we've had on BC Polytalk uh, since this crisis began. And so I want to ask him some questions, and I know you do as well, about uh, a company which is one of the most diversified from, from Save on Foods chain to Canfor uh, to a whole host of, of different uh, fishing, a host, whole host of different businesses in British Columbia and in Canada, and how uh, the COVID-19 crisis is impacting them and how they uh, hope to come out of this. Yeah, I'm also going to ask him as well around uh, his company. I had a chance to kind of peruse the, the Patterson website, and it says very clearly there that they're open to acquisitions and, and taking over companies. And, you know, I, I'm going to ask Glenn about the challenge because he used to be the guy who was kind of supporting the small business owner and, and, and the, the blue-collar worker, as I said, and now he's the head of a very major corporation. And we're looking at companies that are going to be in distress here in British Columbia probably for the next maybe 12 to 24 months at a minimum. And what is the Patterson Group doing? Are they looking at taking over some of these companies and is it an opportunity? And is he kind of torn having been someone who as the premier at, at one point would have been there to go out and help protect those folks and now he's looking at it as a potential business opportunity? Yep. And lastly, of course, we, we don't make this a, a partisan show. We want to have a good public policy discussion and et cetera. But, and Glenn is very much in favor of that. But I think we might just possibly touch on a little bit of partisan politics. I have a feeling with uh, BC Polytalk, there's always a little bit of politics in the talk. So we'll be right back with Glenn Clark. 
BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. Glenn Clark, welcome to Hashtag BC Polytalk. Great, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Well, this is a, an unprecedented time, and it's particularly important for us to have you as a former premier and also a leading executive, uh, Patterson Group president, uh, one of the most important businesses in not just British Columbia, but across the country. COVID-19 coronavirus, how has it affected your business and what do you see across the province more generally as the impact of, uh, of this pandemic and how do we get out of it? Well, it's stunning. I mean, it's just, uh, it's really unbelievable. Uh, obviously, the health considerations of trumping economic considerations, and make, which makes perfect sense. But from an economic point of view, it is unbelievable. Never seen anything like it, certainly in my life. I hope never to again. I mean, every company is just hemorrhaging cash, trying to survive, trying to hang on. Uh, there's been lots of government programs. Of course, they change every day. Uh, lots of good programs to be candid in Canada. I think better in Canada than the United States. But, um, and we're taking advantage of pretty well all of them, at least most of our companies. So um, that's a good thing. But uh, I worry for the economy, I worry for small business and even, even some big businesses. I mean, we're in um, much better shape because we're diversified. We have some companies doing quite well, like our grocery stores or our, our tuna, canned tuna business, Ocean's Tuna, uh, Gold Seal Salmon. Uh, those businesses are doing quite well. Uh, so we're quite lucky to have that kind of diversification. But we're very unusual to be that diversified. In fact, people often comment on how you know unusual our company is having um, such a wide variety of businesses. And boy, do we ever appreciate having that now. Yeah, and I know that uh, one of the things, because uh, I should say for full disclosure, you and I uh, still do some work together, some of your companies. But um, Save on Foods, for example, uh, one of the leading um, already online delivery grocery ordering uh, situations, as I recall. Yeah, well, we're, we were the first in really in British Columbia, and we have a pretty big market share in British Columbia, not as big in the rest of the West, but uh, in British Columbia, we're quite, uh, we have quite a substantial share. Um, and uh, we've started uh, fairly early with home delivery. We have our own trucks and our own drivers. And so that has been a benefit. But uh, as anybody who's ordered from us will know, we lots of shortages, lots of short uh, supply. And so it's not been perfect. And as you sort of triple the volume in a, in a few days, uh, it's also been uh, challenging to get the orders out to people. So we've done a number of things, uh, I think, which I'm quite proud of. For example, we, 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 we reserve slots now for first responders, including firefighters and others who are having trouble getting ordering groceries. We've kind of prioritized the seniors and other people who need help. And we've been, and we've been slowly improving all the time as we move forward on it. But um, it's, a, it's kind of a new business in, in Canada. Home delivery has been about 3% of the grocery business, and uh, and we're a little higher than that, but not much, and it's growing very fast. In other parts of the world, in Asia and Europe, uh, it's a little higher than that, more like 7 or 8%, uh, and so it's be interesting to see. One of the things about this uh, uh, epidemic or pandemic is that it's pretty clear that it's accelerating trends that already existed, and it's sort of like you know, uh, acceleration on steroids. You know, um, people were moving to online shopping in a variety of ways, including groceries. Uh, they were moving uh, to distance uh, working and 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 the use of the use of this superior technology we have. But boy, it's just uh, it's just accelerated in a, in a way which is hard to comprehend. And it will be interesting to see how much of that sticks uh, when this dies down. 
So Glenn, uh, you mentioned that uh, the Patterson Group is using some of the uh, uh, programs that are being implemented uh, both at the provincial and the federal level. And there has been some criticism, uh, not a lot, but there has been some criticism from the business community around the nature of those programs and the fact that there has been uh, perhaps maybe too much focus on the individual and not enough on on kind of corporate Canada and small business Canada. What are you hearing from within the business community about the types of programs that have been implemented so far? And is there any gaps or anything that you think government should be doing to address some of those concerns? Uh, well, first of all, I really have very little criticism of the government. I was, and I say this is unusual for me, especially with a, a liberal government uh, federally. But uh, I say that because um, having been in government, it's so hard uh, to, to, to come up with the policy design, uh, program design for a big program. And here's the federal government coming up with these massive, pro I mean, unprecedented programs in literally days. And so have they made lots of mistakes? The answer is yes. Uh, but are they right to do that? The answer is also yes. Get the money out. Get try to. I mean, you think about it. You put the entire um, economy on a, in a sort of self-induced coma, and you try to keep it alive until it, so it can pick up again quicker. And so they're just flooding money at it. I mean, uh, e even I sometimes go, my God, every day there's another trillion dollar program seems like so they've made mistakes but they've but I think by and large they've got it right better than the United States in terms of supporting people where I think it's a there's some challenges is um, like in we, we have a, a small operation in uh, Denmark and what they said is they're paying 80 percent of the cost of running the business including rent uh, utilities salaries everything 80 percent and we and the government's covering eighty percent. We cover twenty percent, and as long as you keep everybody working, so that is a true life support where they're just covering everything except for our twenty percent, which is, by the way, still we're still losing obviously hundreds of thousands of dollars with that twenty percent. But but it really is a a, a a way of of keeping the system running so it can come back quickly. In Canada, they've concentrated on providing, as you know, a, a lot of money for people, which is very good. But there are businesses including ours, where you're paying rent and not open. Like give an example, in Canada, you know, we own the, the uh, Toronto Aquarium, which is a big aquarium. And I mean, we have about uh, 20 people working there, keeping the animals alive and running this place and paying and playing the rent. By the way, the Canadian government owns the, we rent from the Canadian government. They refuse to give us a break on the rent. So we're paying uh, full <laughs> rent during the whole period and carrying all these people. And there's zero revenue. And uh, and doesn't you know that's not gonna that'll be one of the last things to start because it's a big big entertainment venue, and we're not I'm not whining about it, but I just think about other companies that don't have the resources we have, and I just think there's going to be a lot of casualties coming out of this uh, pandemic in spite of massive government intervention. What do you think will happen, uh, Glenn, as we come out of this? Because I think uh, you'd agree that our, our mutual friend, Adrian Dix, the health minister, and John Horgan, another friend of ours, have, have done a really great job. And you see that in mm -hmm. the results, that BC has one of the lowest uh, infection rates and death rates per capita of any jurisdiction over 5 million, I think. But um, the next stage seems to me to be challenging because mm -hmm. you've got to, as you said, you've got to resusc resuscitate the economy. And you've got to open things up, and, and we're already seeing uh, that stage coming through this week announced, and yet a lot of details still lacking. Is this the most dangerous period for uh, this government or any government, uh, the reopening stage? I think there's no doubt about it, because in some ways, let's take our, our company, like I just mentioned Ripley's, believe it or not. So everything's closed. So you have zero revenue on the aquarium or Niagara Falls attractions. So you manage that, obviously that's tough, but you deal with it, you lay people off, you run with skeleton crews and you're burning cash. 
We have other companies that are running at 70% capacity. It's almost tougher because you get you get all the people coming back and you got only 70% of the revenue and you're challenged to try to optimize that. And I think we're in that funny spa space now. I think about um, uh, restaurants, very tough margin business, very tough business at the best of times. How do you, you know, closing and doing home delivery, they kind of figure that out. At least they can cover the lights and maybe the rent and a few wages. They kind of just getting that going. But opening up and then having only, say, 25% full seems almost more challenging. It's going to be very tough, I think, for restaurants in, in, in a modest, uh, as they try to open up just tentatively. And so I think we're going to see lots of more challenges actually in this funny period until we get give people confidence that there's either a treatment or, or, or a vaccine. Boy, it's going to be very hard to, to get things going. And I, I've been sort of privately arguing with everybody that there needs to be a massive government stimulus similar to the money they spent to close the economy down. They're going to need that to get going. But you don't want to do that now because uh, that's just wasted money. You need to wait until we have uh, at least proper treatment facilities. So this kind of bumbling along here, running along here at sort of 80%, 70% capacity in businesses, I think it's going to be extremely hard. And just to follow up on that a little more, I mean, we have some companies uh, in Canada, the United States, that make packaging and they're essential services. They do food packaging, et cetera. So they're running. But the six-foot uh, distancing rule, the P PPE we pay for, the the challenges and people and absenteeism, people worried, and all of those issues have made the costs of running that business much, much higher. And of course, the market is smaller because there's less restaurants for takeout business. So you get both things happening, and that that business, those businesses are losing money. They're not losing as much as if you close, but they're still losing money. And we're in that kind of funny phase for the whole uh, business community with a very few exceptions, uh, like food and grocery stores and a few others, um, that I think it's going to be uh, a very tif difficult time in, for this next little while. So, Glenn, uh, uh, in your day in the politics and the mm. provincial legislature, you uh, didn't take any prisoners. Uh, you were a tough politician. You held a lot of folks to account, and uh, you gave back as much as you took. And But now we're in a position, and, and Bill and I have been talking about this over the last six to eight weeks with COVID, is everybody seems to be singing uh, Kumbaya and everybody's hugging, <laughs> but we know that eventually that will change. This is British Columbia after yes. all. So what, what advice would you have, uh, I guess, for the opposition levels that I, it looks like the House, that the legislature will be sitting soon. How do you, what type of advice do you give for an opposition that has to go back and hold a government to account in a period where perhaps being critical is not in vogue right now, but knowing that within the next 18 months, we're going to be back into an election. So yeah. any advice you'd have for them and perhaps for the government as they head back uh, into to the legislature as well? I think in opposition, they, it doesn't make any sense to, to attack the government on the health care file. First of all, Adrian Dix is superb, you know, as you know, just and they don't, they don't really attack him anyway because he's difficult to deal with because he knows more than they do. And he's worked hard, I think, at bringing... A, a more a less partisan uh, perspective. Um, so I, I would just leave that. I think it's all about the economy. And I would say, okay, what is the government doing to help A, businesses survive? And B, what are they doing to try to get things back on track? Because British Columbia is doing very well before, uh, uh, and not necessarily because of the government, any government, uh, but because of a whole bunch of factors. And so now I think we got we got lots of struggling. The force industry is struggling, for example, big, big uh, layoffs and challenges. We're not competitive in forestry right now uh, compared to our places around the world, including Alberta. 
And so that's an area I would focus on. What What is the government doing to try to improve competitiveness of some of our core businesses? What's the government doing to try to stimulate the economy in ways that's not wasteful? I think all governments will be vulnerable if we still have really high levels of unemployment and massive uh, subsidy programs and massive government uh, deficits. I think they'll be vulnerable pretty quickly uh, if they don't uh, really take, take that seriously. Leading out of that as well, um, We've never seen, I, I, just to follow up on Daniel's question, we've never seen the level of cooperation. You mentioned right. uh, Adrian Dixie's working with Norm Letnick, the, right. the Liberal Party uh, opposition critic for health, and Sonia Furstenau, the Green Party. Um, do you think that that will change the nature of the legislature on an ongoing basis? Because uh, I think, uh, I agree with you, I think that the Liberals would be uh, ill-advised to, to go after health questions. Mm. But uh, it strikes me that it's it's kind of, the, the mood of the public to me is kind of like, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just work together indefinitely on these things? And it, it kind of makes me wonder if the opposition is going to get in trouble for doing their job, perhaps. Um, I think uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, there's no chance of that to surviving. I, by the way, forever, if you do a poll, the public always says, oh, we want everybody to get along. We don't like this partisan stuff. I mean, it doesn't matter. They always do that. And I, it's sort of human nature. You obviously want people to get along. But that's not how it works in our uh, in our parliamentary democracy. Thank goodness. It's a contest of ideas. It's a debate. It's holding government to account. It's government holding opposition in some ways to account for their promises or their their positions. And that's what makes, I think, British parliamentary democracy, you know, really, the, I think, the best in the world, really, in the way it functions. And so it'll quickly get back to that, in my view. I just think strategically, because the government has done an exceptional job and the, and the, and the opposition has worked with them on this, the opposition can take some credit, actually, for the, uh, for the success of the government on health care file and move on to safer ground. You know, it used to be an old, you know, the old um, saying I, I, was, I used to like quoting about the, you know, the water buffalo and the alligator. Do you remember that one, Bill? Uh, okay. You're going to have to tell us anyway. <laughs> well, if, if, if the water buffalo and the alligator get in a fight on, uh, on land, then the, uh, the water buffalo, the, sorry, the alligator wins. If they get a fight in the water, then the water buffalo wins. So the trick in politics is drag your opponent onto ground mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you win, and both sides have the same objective. And so I think uh, if the opposition was dumb enough to critique the government on health care with Adrian Dix and the job he's done, just generally, by the way, before even the, the COVID virus, then they'll get creamed. The election will be held on health care and they'll lose. The opposition has to try to move the government onto an area that they have some a higher degree of of of. Um, of public support for, and that probably is the economy. It might be more narrow than that. It might be some specific things, but they have to try to move the debate. And I think the government's job is to move the debate probably to healthcare and education, where they uh, generally, you know, poll very well, where they do a good job, and where people, the public, have a lot of confidence in the government in that file. And so that's why. And similarly, I think what the government has to do is shore up their weaknesses always. And their weakness would probably be the economy. And the reason why it looks so strong for the NDP uh, in the last few years is because in their weak area, the economy has been very strong. And so they've so that it's hard to beat them when the economy is that strong and they're doing a good job on healthcare and education and some of the other social programs. So the government has this potential weakness, I guess, as we move forward, if the economy softens then uh, they're going to have to really step up and address that question, or the opposition will exploit that and try to move the debate over to that area. And I guess 
just no, no crystal ball because we don't really know it's such an unprecedented time. But it does appear to me that at some point it is going to move to an economic question here sometime in the next uh, 24 months. And so I think the government has to pay a lot of attention to that. And I, I think that public's probably going to be pretty forgiving of the government. They don't have to be excellent on the, on the economy. They have to show they care. And they have to take steps to make sure they care. They have to take, you know, firm and, and hopefully bold steps to try to get the economy moving. And I think the I think the public will probably cut them some slack if they do that. But what they can't do is get in the way of recovery. They have to be very careful that they um, that some of the programs and policies they want to implement or they would like to implement, which might be a drag on the economy and might be supported in general times, might not be supported in a tougher economy. A lot of good points there, Glenn. I know I was I shared an article with uh, Bill a few days ago just uh, around the Italian leadership and how popular they were during the height of the, uh, the pandemic. But now they're, the numbers are tanking. So the public yeah. were supporting them during the pandemic. But yeah. post-pandemic, they're back to being very unpopular again. So you have to be really careful. I agree Absolutely. with you on that kind of stuff. And I think the economy is pretty critical. Uh, Glenn, I, I took a, a glance at your website. First of all, I agree. Uh, I've never seen a company more diversified than the Patterson Group. I couldn't believe that you owned everything wine. I do shop there uh, fairly regularly. So in a lot of other companies. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do. I definitely do shop there. But I, I noticed on your website, it said we're growing and seeking future acquisitions. And mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, you know, when you look at uh, the unemployment rate that came out this week at 12%, you look at uh, businesses that are struggling, you see millions of people that are out of work. While uh, as a former premier, you would have been, your natural inclination would have been to help these people and to go in and try to support them. But as a business leader and as leading a company that says we're growing and seeking future acquisitions, is this not also an opportunity for you? And are you out there looking at places where the Patterson Group can actually take advantage of this and grow? Uh, absolutely. And uh, we're hopeful that's the case. <laughs> the um, It's a bit early, I think, actually. Uh, we'll see in the next few months, but uh, yeah, there we're. I mean, I mean, from our point of view, we we will be looking for potential acquisitions uh, as we move forward, and and you know, generally speaking, we tend to make an acquisition every three or four weeks, but they're usually small, like a tuck-in acquisition to one of our existing companies, and and I think we'll be looking for that strategically. I mean, we have. Um, I mean, we'll be careful about it, uh, but um, for stronger companies. You know, in these kinds of downturns, are actually uh, not that bad for us long term. Uh, but you know, our first priority is protect our core and our and our company, and that's uh, and we're not out of the woods either. I mean, these are these are really uh, incredible times. So it's a bit early for us to start looking to spend money because we're still busy trying to conserve conserve what we have. I wanted to sort of shift off of that one to another one, sure. uh, Glenn. Patterson Group bought a, a significant share of Canfor, was looking to, to take it private. Yeah. At a time when everyone said, uh, <laughs> last few years, it's a, forestry is kind of a sunset industry. It's it's not the giant powers it used to be. <laughs> what do, did you and Jimmy Patterson see in Canfor that gave you hope for the future? Well, first of all, let me say, let, better be lucky than good, because we, we bid $16 <laughs> a share, and it's now, I think, $9 a share. So we... Uh, but we um, we have partners in our in our difficult times because the company lost about 100 million in the first quarter, and uh, and those people who didn't want to sell to us, of course, now are bearing, are sharing in that loss. But um, but having said that, we we, we like the forest industry long term. Um, it's funny, and I, I guess I'm getting old. I remember the war in the woods and all the challenges in the forest industry. But forestry really is a green industry. It really is an environmentally 
solid industry that has a great potential, I think, including in terms of fighting greenhouse gas and uh, and 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 dealing with some of the consequences of, of building construction. So some of the the new technology or new innovations in engineering, like uh, cross laminated timber and building tall buildings with uh, timber instead of steel and concrete, are really uh, uh, green uh, building methods or carbon capture. They're, they have great attributes, and so we think that. As long as you take care of your fundamental resource, uh, there's only going to be growth in that. You know, or put more crudely, I mean, the world is getting bigger, and there's a finite amount of uh, trees, and so uh, we think that there's a big market there long term, and we like it's on the right side. I think of that environmental debate. We everything we look at now, we try to be on the right side of that debate. We do have uh, some manufacturing uh, foam, for example, polystyrene foam manufacturing facilities in the United States and in Canada. And uh, those are, I think, uh, at some point probably won't be allowed and uh, we'll be moving into other substrates like bioplastics and other things that are environmentally green. And uh, so we think that that business is good. It's also, we also like the forest industry because it's, um, you know, for pri- it's a better in private hands than public hands because the lumber industry goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's just the nature of a, of a commodity business. And it's much tougher on the on the public companies to manage that way. Whereas we can take a longer term view, and we don't have to, you know, we don't worry when things go down, particularly as long as and we run these companies with very little debt, so that when the things go down, we're fine, and then when things go up, we make we make hopefully make a lot of money. As you probably know, we're we're one of the biggest players in the fishing industry in British Columbia, and you know we. We didn't get there by buying tons of fishing companies. We got there because everybody goes bankrupt because it goes up and down, up and down, and then people can't take it when it goes down. And we've tried to run these things very conservatively. So when things go down, we may not make any money, but we try not to lose very much, and we kind of survive, and then other people can't. And then we grow just naturally and organically through um, uh, through being, the you know, I guess in a, well, in a way, the last man standing. So, so we kind of feel like uh, we understand how to run uh, resource companies uh, in a conservative fashion. We're much more conservative than I think most uh, companies. We run them with low debt levels and we try to reinvest all the money back into the business. And it's been a quite a successful strategy. So we like the sector. We like the opportunity. We're disappointed we weren't successful, although the timing was actually fortuitous for us. And so uh, maybe someday we'll do it again. <laughs> So Glenn, uh, I think it came as a, as a big surprise to many when uh, you sh- shifted over from being the leader in the province, uh, leader of an NDP government, to work for one of the biggest free enterprisers, if not the largest free enterpriser, Jimmy Patterson, uh, in our province. Um, from your time now, I mean, you obviously you led the province, and now you're you're with a, a business leader, and you're leading that company yourself. What are a couple of things you could share with our audience that you've learned from somebody like Jimmy Patterson in terms of? His leadership style and, and some of the things that um, that you've been able to maybe perhaps bring from your your leadership days in, in working in government to to Patterson. Maybe if you could expand on that. Ah, that's a good question. I mean, the um, well, leadership is kind of leadership. I think in some there's a lot of lot of overlap in anything you do in any in any life. It's all about people. It's about uh, about uh, being able to. Um, you know, describe where you're, you're trying to take take either the province or, or a company. It's uh, it's trust. There's a there's a bunch of factors I think in any leadership. So they're the same. I think with for me personally, learning in the private sector, I think one of the problems that politicians make and I made uh, for sure is that you 
um, you spend a lot of time analyzing a problem. You get a lot of information. And then you make a decision. And you make the decision, you think, oh, thank God we made that decision. Then you go on to the next one. And of course, uh, it's really about the execution of that decision that's uh, is either as more important or as important, probably more important than the actual decision. And so um, I think there's a kind of naive faith in government that uh, politicians often have of all parties. They make a decision and they, they think, okay, now it'll be implemented. And I think in the you don't have that luxury in the private sector. You make a decision, then you're all over that decision, making sure that it's executed well. And and that's you're just driving for execution all the time. And I think government doesn't do enough of that. They spend more time on the policy questions, on the big picture questions, on making decisions. And then they leave the execution to basically um, a bureaucracy that may or may not be equipped, best equipped to implement that decision. So I think, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like your strength's always your weakness. So who knows, we get into trouble. But, you know, I, I know when we built commuter rail, uh, when I built the West Coast Express, or I was responsible for that, made the decision, um, you know, everybody opposed it. The fortunate, fortunately for me, the Gordon Campbell government was against it and all the mayors were against it. And I was lucky enough to appoint uh, someone that actually Alicia Stewart is still around, and and um, and we appointed a basically a project management team. And think about it today: we built the West Coast Express from announcement to open in 18 months, and uh, every station, all of that, uh, and it'd be very popular. And it not not probably not coincidentally, we won every single constituency <laughs> that where there was a station in the next election, and the Liberals, of course, opposed it. And similarly, on the millennial line, we also use uh, Alicia Stewart, the Stewart group on that. And uh, that was a, about a two or three year project for that whole uh, line down Lloyd Highway. So my uh, lesson, which I always tell governments of all stripes, and they, they don't usually listen to me, is if you really want to get something done, you got to put together a implementation team and you got to drive that implementation. And obviously, you need to do it carefully with government. There's lots of competing demands and public um, consultation, but you really need to you really need to concentrate more on implementation. And, and I certainly didn't do that. I didn't I, when I was in government. We didn't really um, realize it. And similarly, if you're not careful with implementation, you know you'll screw things up. I mean, a good advantage, a good example potentially is environmental regulation, where you really have a good idea, really important, it has broad public support, but the implementation of it causes unintended consequences potentially. And uh, there's lots of examples of that in private sector too. But I think uh, working for the Patterson Group, you know, we really try to focus hard on on driving the accountability the, and the and the implementation of decisions and uh, and really trying to learn from mistakes. We constantly are reviewing how it went if we do. And we do the same thing at Canfor does a good job of that. Canfor's public company, but you know they do a request. You know they do a capital request. It goes to the capital committee of the board. I'm, I'm the chair of the, that committee at the moment, um, and it gets approved uh, for expenditure. And then we follow up after. Say, okay, well here's what you said was going to happen. Uh, what happened? And did you come over budget, under budget? And then what about your return on your investment? You said you were going to make this. What would you make? And then and then did we, anything we need to learn from that? So the next time we 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 do it better and. And I think, uh, you know, all, everybody does that in some fashion, but I think that's a really important lesson for me personally as, as if I were looking backwards at my career in politics. I think, um, I think uh, I've learned a lot at in, in, in working in the private sector. 
Glenn, we're uh, we're thankful for your time, and I, I I couldn't leave without one other question. Uh, John Horgan was a, a a young staff guy when you were the premier. Adrian Dix was your chief of staff, also quite young at that point too. Uh, time when I was there for a little bit. Do you find it a bit strange to see Premier John Horgan, Health Minister Adrian Dix, in the news every day, and think about back to the period where they worked for you? <laughs> Uh, not really. No, actually, I'm very proud of them. Actually, I'm I'm not really surprised by either by either success. Uh, they were good people then. They're good people now. They've learned. They've they've grown a lot. Obviously, um, I think um, both of them have. I mean, uh, I was surprised when they both went into politics in some ways. Certainly, Adrian, when he first decided to go into politics, I didn't think he would because he's kind of a he's quite shy actually and uh, and fairly introverted. Um, and so that was a surprise, but but you know he's obviously got over that. He's done a fantastic job, and and John similarly. No, it is uh, fun to see, and uh, I guess as I get older, it's uh, it's uh, it's it gives me some great pleasure actually. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks very much for for joining us, Glenn. Uh, really appreciate the conversation, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing the show. Thanks for inviting me. Nobody invites me anymore. So. <laughs> well, you're always welcome back here. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Th- thanks for coming on, Glenn. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. We'll be right back. BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. So, Bill, it was a real pleasure to have uh, someone like Glenn Clark on the program today. I moved here in the late 80s, early 90s, so Glenn Clark was a big uh, fixture on my television screen for many years, bigger than life. Uh, very affable person, very smart, competent. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Patterson has a lot of confidence in him, and you can see why. I really enjoyed that discussion and getting his perspective on things. And as I said earlier in the preview, um, you know, getting a former premier on is sometimes really enlightening because it gives you, and especially when he was talking about the decision-making process and kind of what goes through government decision-making versus in the private sector. Yeah, I thought that was a great question from you towards the end of the show there. I think also, you know, just there's so few people who can say, A, I ran a province and B, here's some advice that I can give you on uh, a unique situation like the COVID-19 crisis is right now. So I I was uh, very interested to hear what he had to say. I I think he rightly identified that coming out of this, that the health side of it, which Adrian Dix, the health minister, has been dealing with very ably and working with the opposition is one thing. Coming out of it and going into also an election year next year, trying to fix an economy that was the best in the country, uh, while you still have some pretty significant restrictions on, is going to be a real challenge for Premier John Horgan and his cabinet. Yeah, he, he did touch on that. I thought that was a really good uh, bit of advice for the opposition liberals who are going in, who I don't think would be naturally inclined to go and attack. Uh, as Glenn said, they haven't been doing that in the last three years. They've kind of kept the, the, the gloves off uh, when it comes to uh, uh, taking on Adrian Dix and the health portfolio. But I think we're going to hear a lot more on the economy side. I think that you're going to hear a lot more kind of uh, criticism on that. I love this water buffalo and crocodile story. I've never <laughs> heard that before, but that image is going to stick in my mind. And I can only think that as we head into the next uh, you know 18 months, uh, that struggle between going uh, between the the water and the land is going to be kind of paramount for the for the liberals. But you know, I I'm I just go back to kind of what you know a number of folks have told me kind of that you know the, the p- political people who solve the problem in the crisis aren't necessarily the ones you want to solve the the next one. So that things can change, and I think the NDP have a really good handle on the kind of the health piece and that kind of stuff. But I think where Glenn said where there's a potential weakness is on the economy. So we'll see where that goes. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the old, oldest analogy is uh, Winston Churchill during the Second World War, the, the famous wartime prime minister, the hero uh, for the British people. And then 1945, the war is over and they defeat him as prime minister and elect uh, Clement Attlee of the Labour Party, a left-wing party, to rebuild the economy. So uh, politics is a cruel game at times, and uh, that was one of the more crueler examples of it. So that's something that John Horgan, who is a, a student of uh, political history, I'm sure is aware of, and will not yeah. want to uh, follow in those footsteps. And I, I know, Bill, I was thinking uh, before the taping of the show that you were just in Victoria not long ago doing our budget special. And I, mm -hmm. I remember you uh, being there and, and listening to the Minister of Finance. And I know there were a number of questions, actually. It's hard to think back to February. It's, it seems like about <laughs> five years ago now. Yeah. But um, I remember you asking and talking and, and listening to the Minister talk about whether or not the budget had built in enough uh, buffer for COVID. And there was confidence then back in February. And boy, have things changed. Um, the Minister of Finance spoke this week um, and talked about the challenges that are going to face the provincial government with the budget. So we're going to have a massive budget deficits. We're going to have an economy that's going to be looking at 12 to 14% unemployment. Um, boy, have we ever changed the whole BC political scene in a matter of weeks. Yeah. And, you know, Daniel, I think one of the ironies that uh, we'll explore further in the last few shows we have and into the next season is uh, it has been a, a an almost a biblical direction that you must balance the budget or you lose an election. And I think in this election, we've just seen uh, Andrew Wilkinson, the opposition leader for the B.C. Liberals, say and his party say, well, you should cut all these taxes and give people even more tax breaks, which would mean more deficit, larger debt. And so uh, this election in the, in the coming year may be fought over who will spend the most and drive the debt and deficit into the largest uh, level possible, as opposed to balancing the budget, like only in BC. And Bill, speaking of uh, Andrew Wilkinson, uh, very pleased to, we don't normally announce our guests ahead of time, but I can say that uh, Andrew Wilkinson will be the leader of the opposition. The BC Liberal Party will be our guest next week. This is May Sweeps, and you know we're trying to get the ratings right up there. So we've had Glenn Clark this week, and we've got Andrew Wilkinson on next week. So he'll be able to address some of uh, those questions and more when we have him on the program. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Make sure you share, make sure you listen, make sure you tell your friends. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. And remember, you can find everything at our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can also chase us down on Spotify and iTunes for podcasts. You can find us on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find links there. You can go to YouTube and see the show. 